Hi, this is Dr. Jeremy Bargeman from Dynamic Balance Chiropractic. You are listening to the SME Stories Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey everybody, thanks for downloading the show. We got a great episode today with Dr. Jeremy Barchman, or Dr. J. Uh, he's the owner with his wife, Dr. Holly Barchman, who runs and operates Dynamic Balance Chiropractic based in Ajax. A little bit about Dr. J. Dr. J earned his undergraduate degree from Iowa State University before graduating with honors from Palmer College of Chiropractic as a doctor of chiropractic. The focus of Dr. J's practice is pediatric and prenatal chiropractic and family wellness and is passionate about helping kids to have their best life by helping their nervous system work at its greatest potential. There is no higher honor than being entrusted with the care of newborns and infants. I can attest to this myself, actually, as his clinic treats our entire family, from Mrs. K, my kids, and maybe in the future he'll treat our two cats. My favorite quote from Dr. J is, helping your family be their best is my passion. He's a husband, father, entrepreneur with awesome stories that you're going to love. So sit back and absorb. All right, everybody, we have Dr. Jeremy Barchman, or I call him Dr. J. How you doing, Dr. J? Excellent, Ken. Thank you. How are you today? Doing all right. Living the dream, as a lot of people like to say. So, <laughs> excellent. We'll start off with a few questions here. So, Dynamic Balance Chiropractic, Dr. J, what's the story? We are a team of three chiropractors currently and one massage therapist. We are in uh, the eastern suburbs of Toronto in Ajax. We've been here 13 years now and we started, my wife and I started uh, 2008. It was just the two of us, no staff, walking around with a cordless phone in the back pocket while we're taking care of clients and shoestring budget at the beginning. We had a interesting road as businesses start the first couple of years. You learn a lot of trials and tribulations of not necessarily anything revolving care, but learning how to run a business and do it well. That slowly progressed. You know, we brought on some part-time staff and then full-time staff. And then over the years, we've had a couple of associate chiropractors with us, a couple of massage therapists with us at different times. And now I would say really the last two years, I've been the most comfortable on the business side of how to find good people, bring them onto the team and find a role that suits their personality so that we can all do what we really like to do, do it well and relatively low stress, but provide exceptional service and have a fun place to work. As far as chiropractic goes, we're old school chiropractors, we're looking to the function of the spine because inside that is the nervous system. It's the same principles that chiropractic was founded on about 125 years ago. So we're practicing a really old science, but we do that in a very modern, up-to-date way. We use computer-based um, analytical tools to assess how spine and nervous system are functioning at the beginning to help people understand where they are on a functional basis. And then we do that throughout the course of care too. So people can see that they're actually documenting improvement in their care too. So it's not just, am I feeling better, but is it working better? Because that's the overall goal. If we work better, we feel better. Because we all know that if you just want to feel better, go take drugs. It's faster, <laughs> it's cheaper, but people don't want that. They want to actually function better and enjoy their life without you know chemical dependency essentially in order to do that. So that's where we shine. We look at... Um, how are things working? How do we make it work better? How do we help people achieve their goals with the independence of the chemistry side and help them just be their innate self as best as possible? Oh, that's pretty cool. So how would you attribute your success to everything? Success in what regard? 
which way are you referring, Ken? I'm going to say just overall business success, but also take it however you want. I think that's really good. I mean, this is a small business yeah. podcast, so I guess how would yeah. you attribute your business success to it? Now that I asked the question, I think you can't really separate. You can, I guess there are people that are very successful in business and not so much in their personal lives. But I think mine in the growth that we've had has been in lockstep with everybody that's starting a business that eventually succeeds. They're grinding in those first couple of years of, I saw a quote yesterday that said, don't call me lucky if I'm working while you're sleeping. They're doing the work. Initially, I was putting in a lot of hours to doing the work on making the business function as it should. But, and I think that was instrumental in the very beginning. And I think hustle will get you to a certain place in almost any industry. But then that will take you as far as you individually can go. So I think really there's a, that was the first couple of years of the hustle. And then there's this middle chapter that I would say was probably a good eight years where we had developed a strong name. We did a really good job at what we did and what we do. And we took great care of people. We were always focused on service. You know, I have a history in waiting tables and bartending and working in bars and service industry. And I brought that over. My wife, Dr. Holly is my business partner. She's, she went through as a server and as a, a caterer as well. So we almost took the restaurant style of service and put it into a healthcare setting, which especially in Ontario is not what healthcare is. There's no service. Like you call your general practitioner's office and you, you can't even leave a message. Nobody's there to answer the phone. You can only just try to be lucky and catch them. So service isn't something that people generally get when it comes into healthcare. So I think that helped us originally. But then in that middle chapter of about eight years, as we tried to grow that, I had, I didn't know this at the time, but I didn't really know what I was doing as far as hiring people and training people and supporting people to be their best. And so we grew to a lesser degree based on not what we could have done. You need somebody to answer the phone, so you put a button in the seat and you're good. And so we continued to grow despite some of the things <laughs> that we did. We had, we brought on an associate chiropractor. He did a great job for us for a couple of years, but again, really the knowledge to develop his skill and help things come along. After a couple of years, he went, and then we had another one. And after a couple of years, she went. And then, so about, I would say four years ago, I really came conscious of the fact that if we're going to get past where we are and be able to help more people, we need to, I need to change really that leadership concept of how to first off lead myself and then use that knowledge and standpoint to help lead other people and train other people. And then that in combination with being able to find the right people has paid off. And Ken, you've met our team that the team that we have is top notch. It's a fantastic operation. So I think in learning the ability to, for example, let's say you wanted to hire someone, look at that role what personality would do well in that role and now try to find that personality and go through the hiring process of does this person and their personality fit that role? And then would they fit the team and the team dynamic and the energy? And the hiring process is a lot more intense and laborious, but the payoff is fantastic in, in that we can all come to work, do our job, have a lot of fun, provide great care, great service, and how our clients really love us too. The success wise, I think to answer your question <laughs> is <laughs> I don't do a lot of 
TV watching or video games or anything like that. My leisure time is personal and professional development. It's audiobooks, it's podcasts, it's digging through some of the things of my upbringing and my childhood and my adolescent college years and trying to sort out how to be the best version of who I am so that I can do other things better. And I think that laid the foundation to be able to add that other stuff on top of it. You answered at least 20 different questions before I had a chance to even ask. <laughs> okay, we can dig into any of them. It's often, yeah. But that's great. And I can attest, like I said, to, like I said in the intro to my listeners, that Dr. J and his team, they treat my entire family, from Mrs. K that you guys know familiar with, and of course my kids. And I wrote in the intro too that maybe in the future he can maybe treat our two cats, if ever that happens. It's a then, separate licensing process and the, <laughs> all this stuff like that. My former associate, though, that I've mentioned, he's an, a licensed animal chiropractor now, too. So we'll refer. refer yeah. And I guess a lot of people don't know that there's actually such a thing as animal chiropractic. Because I think Absolutely. you're yeah, the one who told me about it before. Locally that we refer to for that. Yeah. I've treated my own animals, but that one, it was off the books. I didn't charge them. <laughs> yeah, and I do feed... a degree in zoology and genetics. So I probably have a better animal, like animal anatomy and physiology understanding than most of the animal chiropractors out there that just took the, the certification. So I feel comfortable in doing it at the time, okay. but hold no, off that, on your cats for now. for now. So I guess you touched a little bit on growth there. So what kind of growth do you expect to see in the next year, but even the next few years, let's say five years, like what kind of growth do you see for your business? This time period, as no one is unaware of, is a bit interesting and it provides some challenges and some huge opportunities in what we do. The challenge is obviously, as we see it now, right now, we're mid-December 2021, and everybody's talking about new variants of the COVID uh, virus. And we get a bit more, because the media is very strong on that, and people's emotions are very high related to it. And so exposures are concerned. So when it comes to, you have to ebb and flow with the seasonal growth. That aside, if you look at the context of COVID-19 in healthcare, it's taught the public a lot of things. So outside of that, we'll come back to that in a second. Outside of that, chiropractic has enjoyed a, a decent amount of success that's grown over the course of the years. And there's been ebbs and flows in that. But in general, over the last, I've been in practice since 2005. And in that 16 years, people are inc increasingly conscious of the fact that they have to take responsibility for their health if they want to have longevity and enjoyment of life. No one else is going to do that for you. No one's coming to save you. No drug on the market is meant to have you have a better expression of your innate health potential. They're there to cover up things, to work around things. They do a great job at that. They help to kind of um, mask symptoms, cover up something so you can work through a problem. But in actually making your body work better so that you can be a better version of yourself, better for your kids, better for your work, better for the world around you, you have to do the work, you have to show up and people are more and more conscious of that. At the same time, the world is a more and more stressful place and it's harder and harder to do that. Our fundamental philosophy with chiropractic is your body's always in every day, you got physical stress, like the postural loads we have, the bag you're lugging around, the, the posture of driving and you're sitting on the 401 waiting in traffic previous injuries, sports injuries, car accidents, whatever you had, fall down the stairs as a kid, birth trauma with some of the babies that we take care of. Those are huge physical stresses. have been ubiquitous through the years, but it's more every day for all of us. Um, the chemical stresses we have 
simple things like dehydration, food sensitivities, hormone changes, environmental toxins, those are skyrocketing. I don't know if any of your listeners or yourself looked into just the sheer number of chemicals that are brought into our exposure every year, right? And just the way that we go about our fast-paced life, we got we're eating more crap. We're not taking care of ourselves in, in that chemistry way either. And then uh-huh. finally, and the biggest one is the psycho-emotional stresses. So we have physical, chemical, emotional. I'm sure that everyone, if, if someone disagrees with me that the emotional stress is better now than it was 10 years ago, I'd love to dive into that topic further. But we talk about, let's say, for example, the kids that are yours and my, my kids and your kids are really similar age. And so if we compare our life, I, I went through my oldest is 10. I was at in the mid 80s. In the 80s, that was pretty good. That was a good time, right? Now, oh, yeah. if, if you picture your own life as an adult and add... Go back to when you were 13 and you add Instagram and Facebook. How would you have liked it? I ask that to people all the time and they're like, no, thank you. So the stress is on kids and adults and all this stuff is so much more prevalent. And then you add in um, the fact that COVID made us now work from home. COVID, So in reality, it made us live at work. And then now we have a smartphone. So we're available 24-7, which means we're expected to be reachable 24-7. There's all these things that really magnify the psycho-emotional stresses of our current life. And so when you add all that together, the need for taking good care of yourself is way farther, are way more, greater magnitude than it ever was before. So there's a greater consciousness, but then also a greater need. So within that, chiropractic does a really good job as far as mitigating the consequences of those stress and peeling away the layers of those stress and increasing your adaptability to those stresses. So in that regard, the potential is huge. I don't think these stresses are going to really be going down per se over the course of time. We're just going to have to learn how to do better mm-hmm. at handling those. So the outlook for chiropractic care has been always been good as far as market share. It's not been um, when people are considering, look at the healthcare spectrum. We're still not the biggest player. Medicine is still there. And they did a good job through the, especially the fifties to the seventies and cornering that market. But that's really not what we're looking for because they're really geared for crisis, keeping people from dying. Right. So that's where they shine and they do a really good job. Medication and surgery does a really good job at crisis intervention, keep people from dying. And that's essentially their role. Now, if you try to the challenge comes in is when we call that healthcare. So if we say that you not dying is the best outcome on healthcare, so really what we're doing is we're practicing sick care in that model. If we call that healthcare, now people think that as long as I'm not sick, I'm healthy. As long as I'm not going to die, I'm okay. That consciousness is changing. People look at that and say, that's good for crisis management but it's not really what I want out of my life. I need more. I need to do more. I need to expect more. I need to be able to achieve more than just not sick. And so that's where chiropractic and things like naturopathic medicine and nutrition and exercise and stress management and all those things really come in. So the potential is massive. Yeah. That's unfortunately, like you talked about the media, like I never really heard during this entire time where the media was actually talking about trying to take better care of yourself go out and exercise, eat better, something. It was all about staying in your home. Try not to overbuy toilet paper. Apparently that was a big thing, right? Yeah. And all these sort of things where you, it almost scared people into 
you know, being almost like a secluded in their home and not really do anything. I attribute to that to like, I know for myself, like I did get the COVID weight. I think that a lot of us got in 2020. Dr. J is extremely fit. So you guys can't see him on the video right now, but he's actually fit. Now that things were starting to open up, then I'm starting to lose the COVID weight, thankfully, because now the gyms are open. I'm going to get back to my workouts again. So it's, it's very interesting how you put between like crisis management being defined as healthcare, where it's like you said, that's not it, but that's not really t- people taking care of themselves and yeah. using, like you said, better nutrition, naturopathic medicine. And Mrs. K, she's a big fan of a lot of naturopathic stuff. And all of her body washes are, she's all about not to have so many chemicals in the house. Even she tried with natural cleaners, which some work, some don't, but that's okay. And it is a little bit more expensive depending on how, what you, how far you want to go with it. But to try a more natural approach is probably something that more people should at least consider. Because I think some of the, the easy bought stuff, if you actually look at the label, I can't pronounce 95% of the stuff in there, aside from maybe water. Yeah. And that's true for our food too. That exactly with food. Yeah. yeah. Hey, probably shouldn't eat it. <laughs> yeah. If you can't speak it, if you can't understand it, that's why like we, we go to a meat share as well. So that's where we get our, our farm raised beets. That's what we want to do. And it's all about the healthy eating we are trying to do our best with this whole thing now back on point here for that for this whole thing like you want a lot of different tangents there which is i very right. much appreciate because i like to go all over the place here back to a little bit on the business side what have you been what is actually your biggest expense for someone who let's say they want to get into opening up their own chiropractic clinic like what is your biggest expense that you can pass down to them to say yeah do you want to start a clinic great this is probably the most expensive thing you'll probably have to get there's a couple different ways you can go about that. Obviously, the education's pretty pricey now. I don't know the recent numbers. It's been a little while since I was in school, but that that's easily a quarter of a million dollars, maybe upwards of half now. I'm not really sure wow. on that because you have the undergrad side and then the, the grad school part, and that's a good eight eight years after high school that you got to invest. So the time and the money for the education side is the biggest upfront cost. And then after you're at that point, uh, and this is where a lot of people decide whether it's like in our model, it's associate associateship. Basically, you'd be like a, a professional employee in someone else's office or um, solo practitioner or a corporation on your own. So the as far as expense for building your own business, initially, it's just the initial build out of the location. But honestly, with that, it's that's a small relative once you get things going, that's okay. The business absorbs that and it's no different than any other industry. Equipment is not too bad. Some of those tables are like a used car. It's, we have six of them here. And I think the biggest one, my favorite is about $14,000. They're anywhere from three to 14, right? Mm-hmm. Those aren't too bad. The biggest expense, and I think it should be, is the people, right? The people you hire. If you're just starting, then like I said, we went two years without hiring. So the biggest expense was our build out and just trying to get things going. At that point, then you make the decision to, you got to be able to help more people. You got to be able to go home at the end of the day and take some time for yourself. So staffing would, I think as of right now, where we are, our people are our biggest asset and expense. Oh, interesting. And is there any other expense that you deal with that most people actually really don't know that you actually have to spend on professional organizations licensure those types of things they aren't massive we have obviously malpractice insurance we have our regulatory body which you pay an annual fee for you have a bunch of professional associations that are all trying to either so we have 
within healthcare, we have our colleges and college physicians and surgeons for the medical side. The nurses have a college, dentists have a college, um, massage therapists have a college. Any regulated profession has a college that regulates them. You pay a fee and their role is to, no, long story short, their, their mandate is to protect the public from people doing what I do incorrectly. So that's their job. And I have to pay them to police me to do it. Then there are professional associations and they're not, it's not that one's on one side, one's on the other, because I'm more than happy if our college finds somebody else doing what I do incorrectly or in a poor manner or some way that's going to hurt somebody. I'm cool. I'm all for that. But they're really, like I said, they're there to serve the public. For me, there are other professional associations that serve us. They're there to help with regulation or awareness or other things like that. And there's a whole bunch of those that we are optional members for. So those are expenses too. Um, but I would say as far as unexpected expense, we're very fortunate in that there's not really a lot. It's the equipment and just the physical structure. We can't work from home. So there's your time. You have to show up. You have to do the things. You need a place. You need it to look good. You need to update it. You need it to be appealing for people to come to. Um, but in the 15 years, I don't think there's probably too many surprises. There's insurance and the regular stuff. But aside from that, I don't think there's too many surprises. Okay. Well, interesting. So on to social media, though. So how important is social media to, to you guys? And do you guys use any of the social media tools? Yeah, the initially, if somebody's starting out in practice, social media by far and away, you can't just hang up your shingle, as they say, and expect the door to open. So there has to be an awareness of what you do in order for people to come. And when we started out in 2008, social media was there, but it didn't have quite as much of a grip. So it was more like networking at the Board of Trade. And I was in BNI and other things like that. Some people, as they start out, they don't want to go that route. They don't want to do those things. Um, so I know of other practices where they just dove heavy into social media and that did the trick for them. For us, <clears throat> I do... We do have Facebook. We do have Instagram. Our Instagram, we use quite a bit. Um, in chiropractic and what we do, I do think social media is important for a key reason in that for about, for a big chunk of the population that hasn't been to a chiropractor before, the uncertainty of what it is, if you're going up against this perceived brand equity from YouTube and other crazy things and what great aunt Edna said that she, her cousin went to a chiropractor and something happened. And just, so you're going against that. So you're trying to figure out a way to put what goes on in your office, outside your office. So other people can access that and understand not only the mechanical structure and what goes on there, but the emotion, like who goes there? What do they experience? What do they feel? Is it worthwhile for me? So that before somebody comes into the office, they're at least comfortable with who's there what should I expect? And is it going to be okay? It used to be that it used to be that people go to the yellow pages and they just like either if they don't have a referral, they go to the yellow pages and either it's who's got the biggest ad or what name do they like the best or who's closest <laughs> to my house. But now it's, there's a lot more to that. It, and then from the yellow pages, it went to Google, right? I'll Google you and I'll check out your reviews. And a lot of people still go that way. And that's still a big part for us. We do love open honest feedback on Google that way. And I think we've done well in that regard. But then even in the last few years, that's developed to where people go to Google, yes, but they're also going to go to Facebook and Instagram. 
they're going to check things out there. They're going to make sure you're not creepy. They're going to make uh-huh. sure that <laughs> the thing they want agrees with the things you have. And so for us, social media is important for that in acquisition and kind of easing that hurdle of acquisition for new clientele. But I think equally as important as that is engagement of your current clientele with the culture of your business. In that, for example, the post that went out this, I think it was this morning, was one of our team members is expecting a baby. That you don't really think that's something that everybody needs to know, but everybody wants to know. So we put that, she put that out actually on our Instagram today and people love it. That's what they want. They want to see. So wait, sorry, who's expecting? <laughs> Marion is expected. Really? Yes. I'm going to tell her that next time I see her. Check it out on Instagram. Take it. I will. I'll follow you guys now. But no, that, that's really cool. You touched on a lot of different things there and that, yeah, the social media piece, I think is, at least it's not a social media channel. There's a gazillion podcasts that cover that, but it's always, I always like to gauge to see how all of these small businesses actually use most social media in their practice. You talk about the Google, you talk about the yellow pages. I, I think also some, I think something that I have to be very careful with are the, uh, the videos on YouTube of chiropractic stuff. And I'll be honest, I actually did watch a few of those as well. Yeah. And uh, because I, I almost, you almost become what they call on YouTube crack addicts, where the more cracks you get, so you'll watch videos of people getting a compilation of videos of chiropractors cracking almost every single part of a person's body. Right. right. And I've seen some of these videos and some of them are like, even one session seemed like it was like a half hour to almost 45 minutes of just the, the chiropractor cracking everything from head to toe. Yeah. And I'm like, sometimes I think, yeah, that'd be nice. But at the same time, do they need to be cracked all what? over? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. It's, and it's a huge key point. Um, there, in the, I love that concept of the crack addict. And there's, uh, for us, when we look at it functionally, there's a key question there. What does this person need? So your, your body has this innate wisdom and this innate intelligence to, to express its health. And you, those accumulated stresses can really get in the way in that the accumulated stress, your, your spine works a lot like the electrical panel in a house or in a building. Stresses accumulate, things get locked up. However, so there's certain few key areas that really need some help on an individual basis. However, your body's made up of a lot of joints and specifically synovial joints in which there's a capsule around it and there's fluid on the inside. Any of those synovial joints in your body can make a sound. If you take them beyond their phys- physiological end range, they can have a, a cavitation or a release or a pop or a crack or whatever you want to call it. When that happens, there's an endorphin release because your body's saying, oh, there was a little bit of a trauma. I need to make it feel better. So like the crack feels good, right? So <laughs> there's two different approaches to manipulation. We'll call it that way. So I view those things, like you said, the video montage of just making a bunch of noise, that's manipulation. We, we're going to take whatever joint you have that wants to make noise. We're going to make it make noise. And it feels good for 15 minutes after. That's manipulation. And that's, that's how a lot of people utilize chiropractic care. For us, it's a little bit more, one of the early chiropractors, the, this, there's a quote that I really like, and he says, chiropractic is specific or it is nothing. Like the value, the true value in chiropractic is find where these key areas of accumulated stress have occurred within the body and where is that causing a deficit in normal neurophysiological function. Remove that inhibition to normal function and watch that person get better. Fix it, leave it alone. Don't do more than you have to. Don't do more than is necessary for that person to express their innate health. Otherwise, you're, it becomes 
essentially, if you're using it the other way, where you're just tracking a bunch of stuff because it feels really good at the moment, it's also a chemical dependency. It's just those chemicals are made by your body. So that's why we assess the way that we do. We do computer-based testing. We use like hands-on assessment, right? There's 24 levels in the spine. There's a joint on either side. So you're talking 48. You add the layers at the top and the bottom. You got more. Then you got hands, feet, wrists, elbows. All those things can make noise. And we can spend a whole bunch of time just being crack addicts. Or you can say, hey, your life has caused some key areas of concern. Let's take care of that so that you can be a better version of you. Let's do as little as we have to do to get you as much gain as possible for the long term. That's the model we practice under. It's different than the YouTube. And that's why, like, we're not ever really going to put our care on YouTube because it's different. If people want to watch that stuff, and there's a lot of people out there that just like watching it. They want to yeah. hear it. And we see it on a lot of the kids that we see. They're like, oh, I watched that on YouTube. The guy was yanking on the head. It looked like that rope that you go water skiing with. And he pulled his head right on. And it, it's not something I'll watch because I think it's pretty gross, but there's definitely a different utilization within the manipulative therapy type thing versus like old school, traditional chiropractic. We take that spin, but with modernized digital technology, it helps us to assess mm-hmm. what we need when and why. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool, actually. So, sorry, another question that we have here. So is like, so we talked a lot, like I said, you talked a lot of different things here. So I'm trying to capture all of it at the same time. So you've been doing this for a while. So you're not like a, a newbie when it comes to this stuff. So in advice that you would give to like up and comers, like what has been your biggest failure so far, but also what's your biggest success so far? That's huge. The biggest, and like I said, we touched a little bit on the biggest success in that I look at every day as just where are we now? And I don't really look backwards to say, look how far we've come. I look at where we are and say, what can we do? What's next? What can we do a little bit better? How can we make this better for us, for the people we take care of? So it's constant evolution and trying to improve on things. So I think that's the current success. And then being able to look at myself and say um, that there's there's many quotes in the round that basically say that the wisest people know that they don't know anything, really. I know chiropractic. I know how to do that. I've learned how to communicate well with people. I've learned how to connect well with people, help them understand how their body works and how it can work better and what needs to be done in that regard. So... I think one of the early failures in our profession, but then also in a lot of professions, is we take ourselves a little too seriously. I went to school. I got this piece of paper on the wall that says I'm really smart. I know better than you. This is what we need to do. And they look at that time period of you get your degree, you go through all this stuff, you open your clinic, and you made it, and now you just get to collect the money. To me, that's the starting line, not the finish line. So that started the quest of personal development and figuring out how to do better versions of me to help other people. So I think the biggest failure that a lot of people face is really the ego side of things. And the biggest success comes from books. I do coaching and informal consultation with people who are starting businesses in a lot of different realms. A good friend of mine is starting a dual business down in Wisconsin right now. We're texting back and forth on books for her to read and other things and where she can improve on that side, but then also mechanics and contract structure and other stuff like that. So it's, it's more just so the biggest failure I think a lot of people have is taking themselves too seriously, letting their ego get in the way. The biggest victory we have is realizing that oh, there's a lot to learn. Get that out of the way. There was another part of your question that I missed. Some books that you definitely think would help because obviously the listeners are are either small business owners that are considering getting involved in some type of business or they just need that 
great reading material that can help further motivate them to continue. Because I always feel that from even if whether you're an Uber Lyft driver, a pet groomer, whatever, I want them on the show because how do you run your business? Even if it's just a side gig, right? How do you and how do you balance it all, right? So any material, whether it's like audiobooks or regular books or whatever like that, yeah, if you can list off maybe two or three that you think would be very valuable for the for the small business owner to keep them going or to give them something right. new to learn. The So yeah, I love audiobooks. Uh, my commute's about 20 minutes, so I can knock out in a week. You can take care of a chunk of a good book that I don't have that amount of time available to read, to sit and read. If I'm sitting and reading, it's usually with all my kids or some research articles or something that's a little bit more nerdy. But if it's something that I can do on the go, it's huge. So I love audiobooks. I'll give you five. High Performance Habits, Brendan Burchard. He's got a lot of great content on social media as well. But that one I really liked at the time period that I hit it. And I, what I like about books, you pick one up that it's got some good merit to it. It doesn't have to be right now that fits in your life. You keep it, you tuck it on the shelf. If you're not into it in that first chapter, come back to it later and it might match at that time. So High Performance Habits, Leaders Eat Last, Simon Sinek. I read that one about a year ago. I went through it on audio, I think four times. Like it was really, really good. Um, Dare to Lead. Brene Brown's a really good author. She does a lot of work on the personal development side. Dare to Lead and Daring Greatly are both pretty good as far as just stepping into that best version of yourself. The Excellence Wins is Horst Schulze. He's the guy, he is responsible for the Ritz-Carlton brand and the, that idea of excellence behind that. It was an unexpected one for me as far as how to pick that up. But then I've passed that on to a few other people's, including the woman in Wisconsin that I was talking about. And then we talked about ego. Um, ego is the enemy and the obstacle is the way. Both of those books by Ryan Holiday are very good. Yeah, I'm going to definitely put those in the show notes so the listeners can really, whether it's to buy it or actually just audiobook it that either way. No, that, that, that's really good. And, and so now we're going to get some more chiropractic, maybe specific business type questions. Just sure. so, so now this is the one that, okay, I want to, get involved. I want to start my own clinic, or maybe I'm currently running a clinic. I'm not too sure what else to do. All right. So first question, should I diversify my service offerings to attract a wider variety of clientele? That's a really good question. And it's one where if you look at the industry as a whole, many people will, many business owners will head that way. It'll get wider and wider. For us, we actually did the opposite. We started out with some more stuff. We did custom orthotics. We did so over the course of time, we actually narrowed. Um, Ken, as you, you've been here, the things, we are not your typical office, right? So we do things a little bit differently. So what we decided over the course of time was to do what we do very well. Um, we do have a massage therapist in the office. That's really the only other service we offer. And Alana is our massage therapist. She's been with yes. us 10 years. We joke around with the fact that if she wasn't part of the family, she'd be gone too. Because what we do is so fundamental and foundational that it's big. However, that being said, there is a place for a lot of other things with it. We have not only massage therapy, I have a few other providers who would love to work with us in a setting. And we're working on some possibilities down the road. I won't give too much away on that, but things like whether it is in chiropractic, a lot of people offer like physiotherapy can be teamed up with that, custom orthotics, massage therapy, acupuncture, maybe something like Absolutely. Like counseling, like social work type counseling. 
life coaching, all those things are a lot of times wrapped in and, and sometimes it's into like a membership model. There's a lot of different possibilities out there. Up to this point, we've gone the other way. We've refined, we've, you know, gotten back to some fundamental key uh, values. And really what we did was we defined our values. And so that now those decisions, when an opportunity comes in, we say, does that further support our values or does it conflict in any way? And so a lot of times in business, especially early on, we're so distracted by all these opportunities of collaboration or growth or anything else that we want to chase every shiny object. And so if you're able to de define what your core values of your business are, the first primary the first one, your business should fund your lifestyle as the owner. Like that's its key core focus. Like the whole reason you're doing it is to fund your life. You have to pay for yourself. Aside from that, we want to provide, like we talked about before, healthcare versus sick care, right? There's other key values there. And so when an opportunity comes in, does it support those values? Does it further delineate why we do what we do. And so we make decisions based on that. Up to this point, we've refined. I'm not saying that's the way it'll always be. And there's definitely uh, probably way more examples of people that do the opposite. They're going to bring in other providers, other services. And, and I'm not saying that we won't ever again. It's just we've gotten really focused on doing a really good job on the thing that we do best. Yeah, no, that's really good. So all right, next question. All right. So you've, let's say this person's already got through, they, they went through the education. So they got the piece of paper already. Say this. Okay. So Dr. J, what should be the first piece of equipment I should invest in? I'm assuming it's a table, right? The drop table. But let's say outside of that, what other, what should be the next thing I should be adding to my business? So within what we do in chiropractic, there are a lot of different techniques. So how you do it is quite variable, right? And we use a bunch of different ones on any given day. And that's where like the six tables that we have in their office, they're all different. Some of them can do things that others can't, but you can really like, you can practice chiropractic on a park bench using a flat surface essentially for people to, to sit or lie down on. So you do need a table. For me, once that kind of obvious stuff is out of the way, then our computer-based technology, as far as assessment, to me, if we tried to communicate where someone is functionally without that, then I think we'd be at a sincere disadvantage because in our education, we learn kind of in a sickness care model in that you learn these orthopedic and neurological tests. If you do this and this symptom arises, then this is the diagnosis and all that other stuff. But when it comes down to it, you're palpating along the spine and we're looking for areas of fixation, misalignment, loss of proper motion, position, and tone. That's still you feeling that person that's laying on the table may not feel that. Then some of those spots might be sore and whatnot, but they're not really able to assess the depth or severity of that issue at that time, or more importantly, how it is going forward. So the computer-based testing that we have, maybe flashing back to your question of unexpected expenses, if you invest in something like that, you can communicate the first time you meet with somebody, here's where you are. Here's the effects of your life on how your body's working. Here's a plan of action that we can put in based on our 15 years of experience, 16 years of experience. What we've seen, how that unfolds if we do this stuff in this frequency over this amount of time. And then we come back and we measure that again. And it got better. Not only did that person feel better, but we look at objective outcome measures and those got better. The equivalent, we take your blood pressure and it's high. We, or we check your blood sugar and it's high. We prescribe nutrition and exercise. We come back and we do it again. 
if that didn't change, we're not doing enough. We didn't do the right thing, or you didn't follow through on the things we said. So objective outcome measures, whether that's your bank account, you look at a number, you start saving and spend less, and then you go back and it should be higher, right? That's the type of thing. So investment in that, I would say, is huge. And there are a couple of key companies that do that. And you guys can reach out to me if you have those questions. But being able to document and communicate the functional status of someone at the beginning and throughout their care is, I think, hugely important. Yeah, and I can test to that as well. Because when you guys show me scans of whether it's mine or the kids, and you can see the transition from before to now, and you're explaining what's going on, I think that's, I think most people are very visual. Because you can try to tell them the stats there, but if they can't see it when with the color charts that you guys have there and everything is, it, it would be very challenging. Right? Because I think, for, like you said, majority of the people most likely are saying, when you're telling them on their progress, they're like, oh, no, I feel fine. Yeah. Right? Crack me. That's pretty much all that they might ask. And you're taking a more more holistic approach to make sure that you know, we're covering it as, as much as we can. And we're trying to do the least amount to give you the most benefit. So that's why for some people who are avid crack addicts, that might be a bit of a challenge because they want you to crack their fingers for some reason. Their fingers are fine, but that, that's just the way it is for some people. For some people, now this is a weird, the question I usually ask is, what should my business name be? But let me just throw you this one. What should my business name not be? It, to me, we went through a lot with this and the evolution of ours was interesting. I was playing with a lot of different models where dynamic balance and, and we look at that and saying your body should be able to, you're being pulled in a million different directions. You don't want to be static. You get pushed, you're going to fall over. You want to be able to have a dynamic, mobile ability to tolerate and move through your life. So that's where ours came from. However, it's pretty long. My email address is really long. Like those types of things. Take yes. that into consideration. And so I love some really simple names. A, a former coach of mine, Life Chiropractic. So I've heard some branding people say, your name of your business should evoke an emotion and it should tell people what you do. So the emotion part is hard. And trying it for us, it was really difficult because when we first started, I, I was really involved in athlete care and my wife was really involved in pediatric care. So from a name perspective, we're, we'd be doing two different things. We would be optimal performance or like first steps. So we wanted to encapsulate both. And to this day, do I think it's the best name? Maybe not. I don't really care. It's our brand now and it's worked really well. And it's, I'm, if, if I'm going to wear a brand, it's probably going to be mine. Naming it, I, I think if we were able to go back and if you have a niche in where you are within chiropractic or any business, it should invoke an emotion. A good friend of mine is in North Dakota and his Strive Chiropractic. Like that huge emotion. Is there a stronger emotion as far as growth and getting more out of yourself? Like, that's awesome. So like those types of things, I think it should evoke an emotion. Thankfully for us, we just tack chiropractic on the end and it tells you what it is. Like, but if you get into somebody who's like family wellness center, even though that's accurate, as far as what your business does, somebody who's looking it up and it sees it, whether you, let's say you sponsor a hockey team or something that's on the poster, you don't know if that's a nutrition place, a chiropractic place, an acupuncture place, or a, a social worker. So it's hard. The naming is tough. Yeah, no, I hear it. And I, I told uh, listeners before about my story into the fitness world where my actual company before was my full name, fitness and performance training. That's exactly what the name was. That That's what the business license said. And I'm like, wow, I should have not named my company that just because it was so long. But you, you learn because a lot of these things, most people don't really know. 
So my next question to you then is, this is a question I always ask for any, regardless of the business. What is your best strategy for dealing with, let's say, difficult clients? Right. So <clears throat> this is a good question. For us, because of what we do and how we do it, there we don't get a lot of that, to be honest. Most of our people are very happy to be here. They came for a reason and they know that they're pretty comfortable that they can get the solution to their problem when they come. And the reason, the way that we take care of that is when you call our office and you tell us what you're looking for, if we can't provide that for you, we don't want to start a relationship in which we won't be successful. So it's often that we'll have that initial consult where I'll sit down with somebody or Catherine's chatting with them on the phone and they'll say, oh, you want, let's say you have a knee injury. You want to look just at your knee. You don't want anybody touching your spine. You're not really concerned about what your nervous system's up to. You just want your knee to feel better. This isn't the place for you, even though that on the whole, there's a lot of chiropractic offices. That's where you should go. Here isn't that place. And so we handle that on the phone before that person comes in. We have other places we refer to. If your expectations aren't going to be met, we want to know that as early as possible so we can help you find a place where they will be met. Problem people usually come from dissatisfied or unsatisfied people with, that they came for something that they didn't get. So that we try to alleviate before the problem even arises. So if they get past that first call in that console where I'm sitting in this chair talking to somebody across the room, the same thing. What are your expectations for us? And if we're not meeting, I'd rather end that relationship now on a good note, you know, no charge for your time today, but I think you're better served than XYZ. And I have her card at the front. I'm going to help you get there. That's better. So let's say somebody gets past that point and they have a legitimate beef, whether it's in somebody earlier this week came in to get adjusted and they ended up seeing uh, a different person than they were originally scheduled with because of a scheduling conflict. That person didn't like that. They didn't really tell us until after the fact. And so they were a little disgruntled. The biggest thing to answer your question, the short version of the question, the answer to your question is care. Give, give a crap. See it from their perspective. Get yourself off of your little pedestal and say, hey, I understand where you're coming from. I'm sorry that I wasn't aware of that. I'm sorry that that went that way. Here's how we're going to handle that in the future. We're going to make sure there's a note on your chart that says you only want to see her and you only want to be at this time. And this problem will never happen again. We can basically say, oh, you know, big deal. It's really easy to stay in our ego, but I think be humble and just put yourself in their shoes and look at it from their perspective and apologize. If you made an error and then to go back to, I think it's Nordstrom's who had this that model, like you're apologizing for something, even if you didn't do it. I think I heard a story once that they returned and refunded somebody for snow tires, even though they didn't even sell snow tires. Like you got to take that role in the business to figure out what the actual issue is. And if it's not a big deal, own up and just take advantage or take, take ownership and move on. Yeah. I think that's what problem for a lot of people. Like you said, they, they get on this pedestal where, you know, I know more than you and I, I how, how dare you say I did something wrong and all that sort of stuff. When a simple apology and, or you, you, like you said, either one, turning them away even before it becomes a relationship on a good note. I don't, because I think for a lot of small business, they feel like they have to take everybody, right? Like, which, which tied into that should I diversify my service offerings? And then like you said, if you, you niche down to a point where it's, you know what you do and you focus on it. And I think that that's a really important uh, thing that most people don't really think about. All right. We're going to jump into the personal side, Dr. J. So what is your story? Okay. You can go as far as back as you want. 
Uh, I'm an American. I was born in Iowa. I, I came from a you know lower middle class family. I remember I was definitely I was a recipient of a lot of social programs. I remember standing in line for government cheese and peanut butter, and we we lived on food stamps and a lot of things as a kid. And I think that's a huge asset in the long run. But I was exposed to chiropractic care at a young age because I had some challenges, and that helped me out as a kid. And so I knew from the time I was about eight or nine that's what I wanted to do, which I am hugely fortunate because I knew the path that I wanted to take. With that said, I struggled a lot through a lot of different stages, partially because of where we came from and the social structures of being lower middle class and all that stuff. I struggled through elementary school, making friends and doing all these things. And through high school, same story. Through high school, university, I struggled with chemical dependency and drug abuse and different things of that nature. And a lot of it was in regard to not being fully comfortable with who I am and how that interacts with the environment. So that was all layered on top of underneath. I still knew who I was and what I wanted to do. I'm blessed you know, that school was never really a challenge. If I had to do some work, I, I did the work and I, I figured out school was a necessary evil. I knew how to play the game. I knew that I knew how to get through the steps in in high school, I knew where I wanted to go for university. So I did what I needed to do to get to that university. I knew what I wanted. I knew where I wanted to go for chiropractic school. So I, I did what I needed to do in university to get to that level. I didn't do a whole lot more than I needed to do because I was a bit jaded. And like I said, I have a lot of other stuff going on. Like I said, the chemical dependency side, anxiety, depression, a lot of these things. And so once I got into a realm uh, of actual chiropractic school, a couple key things happened. One, I was in something that I like, I cared about all the things that I was learning. You go through a lot of the classes in other school and you're not really all that interested. You do the work, but it's, you're not really passionate about it. Once I got into chiropractic side, I was very passionate about the human body and making it work better. But then I also met this one girl a few days before school started, this Canadian girl. She moved into an apartment above my friend and he was coming over to a, a barbecue at my house. And he's like, Hey, do you mind if I bring her over? She doesn't know anybody here. I'm like, yeah, sure. So that was on a Tuesday. I think we started orientation on a Friday. And by the time the orientation in school started, people thought we'd been together forever. That she's now my wife. She helped me in a lot of ways. I don't doubt that I would have gotten through chiropractic school. And I don't doubt that I would have had some level of eventual success in some degree. I would not be anywhere near what we've accomplished so far without her. I don't know how, I, I, as they say, I, I outkicked my coverage on this one way out of my league, but she helped me to understand my worth, those types of things. And, and that's what I was really missing. And that led to a lot of that other stuff. We finished school in 2005. Like I said, I, I thought I wanted, I was really geared into athlete care. So I thought we wanted to have this big clinic with a gym attached and a bunch of different providers and the diversified services. So we, we both, I, I saw a the American Chiropractor Magazine. And this guy that was on the cover had this, this huge 14,000 square foot facility in, in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And so I was like, that's what I want. And so just on a whim, I wrote him a letter. I said, here's who I am. You should hire me. He carried both of us. I drove up one day, interviewed, and he ended up hiring both of us. We were there for two years. We learned a lot um, about who we were, about what we actually wanted. It wasn't that. And managing that and the overhead and the staffing for that wasn't uh, what we wanted in the long run. But so then at that time, we knew that we, we needed to set some roots of our own. 
my family being from the States, Americans were vagabonds. We moved around all over the place. So of my mom, dad, brother, and sister, they currently live in four different states, none of which are the state that I grew up in. Actually, my sister's in the state, but not in the town that I grew up in. So no one's in my hometown. So when we wanted to set roots, we came to where Holly is from and we've taken on from there. But I think that answers a little bit of the question. I came from, it's been a little bit of a no, sort of tale. That, she, she that, that answered a lot. I mean, that answered a lot, actually. No, no, that was really cool. Uh, so how do you actually balance the work life? Because I think a lot of small business owners have that challenge, right? They always say, if you're leaving your 40-hour-a-week job to work for an 80-hour-a-week, yeah. that's almost insane. So how do you actually balance it? And I think, obviously, with you and Dr. Holly, that does help, right? Because you can alternate. But just get general advice you can give to, to small business owners, young and old. What's the best right. way that you can think of? There's a... I remember I was chatting with a, a mentor of mine, David Fletcher. He was in practice in Pickering for a while, and now he's got some key positions within our profession. And I was asking him when we were early on, we were probably about three years into practice right before we moved to Canada. And I, we were, I was asking him this question too. And he, his answer to me at that time, he's like, there's a time in life for balance. This ain't it. Like when you're first starting out, there, there's not. You're, like I said, you do have to grind. We were working quite a bit. And when you're not in your office, you're working on like, I mean, even before that, you spent a year on business planning and funding and locations and all these other things. So you're working really hard at the beginning. And then depending on where you are, if you have kids at that time, we didn't have kids until later until our business was doing okay. And so um, the balance was definitely way out, way askew at that time. And thankfully, like I said, both of us worked here. You run into this in a lot of places where let's say the wife starts a business the husband might see her now and then because she's really invested in that. For us, we started it together. We didn't have kids. We were here together. We worked a lot. We worked hard, but we were together. We went through school together. All of our classes were together. Our first associateship position was together. And our business now is together. That was a different chapter. It worked really well. We were matched very well. She doesn't take any of my crap. And she's the one person that can knock me down 12 steps with the blink of an eye. Then kids came. And so since that time, it's switched. and. We're never here at the same time. Maybe twice a year we'll work a shift or half a day at the same time. That Generally, is true. Like I, I rarely see Dr. Holly. I mean, there was a time where she worked on my kids and I was like, oh, Dr. Holly's is. in the house. Yes. Like Pokeroo, right? Yeah. I've heard of this Pokeroo. Because we have three kids and we homeschool, they have a lot of activities. One of us is here. One of us is always at home. So that balance really helps from the family perspective. But now our struggle is connection, right? So you're always at a different chapter of this balance. So then how we've really improved on that is, like I said, these last three to four years, learning how to find the right people around you, associates, other people to do some of the work. Our staff is phenomenal. Trusting mm. them, being able to find them, train them, and delegate to them. And the delegation, I think, to, the, to answer your question in this stage of our life, what the definition of delegation that I heard somebody say one time, or that how you know you've able to do it well, is you have to trust somebody else to do something 70% as well as you would, and then let them do it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Perfection will kill you in that regard. We always joke around, parenthood is like this balance of guilt and resentment. It's one or the other, right? So it's thankfully, with you can mitigate that by being there a little bit more often and finding the right team has really helped us with the balance side. Wow, a lot of nuggets there. So for the listeners who don't, who miss some of that stuff. So basically what Dr. J is saying, is marry your business partner. No, I'm kidding. That's not what we're, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> For some people. You know, a, lot of, a lot of families where that wouldn't work too well. Yeah. 
if Mrs. K and I tried to work together, yeah, that's going to expedite our divorce, right? Just because we would drive each other nuts. And that's for the sanctity of our marriage. It's good that we have separate lives on certain, when it comes to certain things. And unfortunately, sadly, we're seeing that a lot now with both spouses being forced to work from home and often both at the same kitchen table. If you're oh, yeah. A little condo or something like that. It, I can't imagine the stresses if you haven't had that and you're you know, relatively autonomous. And then the next thing you know, you're at a, your kitchen boardroom <laughs> hassling for bandwidth and silence. Yeah, to do it, your it, it, it's really tough. All right, we're almost going to do We're just going to wrap it up here with some rapid fire questions. Now it's time for the rapid fire round. Ready, Dr. J? Yeah, I am. All right. Question number one. I'm going to let you insert something here. Have you ever eaten a whole all by yourself? Let's see. Cheesecake factory chicken burrito. Like massive chicken wow. burrito. Okay. A cheesecake factory chicken burrito. I didn't know they sold chicken burritos at the Cheesecake Factory. I thought it was mainly desserts. They actually serve like... I don't know. I haven't been there in years, but I just remember yeah. a few. <laughs> I don't Mine was a Pizza Hut medium stuffed crust pizza. That was the, you know, that was in my 20s. If I do that yeah. now, my heart's going to explode. So that's probably a reason why I don't do that yeah, anymore. Yeah, you live on the couch for six hours. Pretty much. The second one, it's actually related to food as well. Is cereal a soup? Why or why not? Mine is it's sugar soup. Let's call it that. Sugar soup. I like that. Excellent. Describe your sense of humor in one word. Filtered. <laughs> you seem very filtered. Yes. <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. I thought you were going to expand on that, but okay. That's all right. Well, especially now, like, in, in, uh, I'm, I don't talk a lot outside of like situations where like this or in practice I do, but outside of this, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet guy. And, we have some pretty strong, like I said, we base our life on values and things like that. And they don't always agree with other people. So if you see a, what you think is hilarious, not a lot of people do. Maybe, maybe not a lot of people do. And then in the current situation too, with COVID, we're actually gagged ordered on what we can talk about, what we can joke about, what we can't. So I would say, if, especially in the last two years, 70% of my jokes don't make it out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Last question here. What is your theme song and why? So when someone sees Dr. J walking and that music is playing, what is it that they're going to say, that's Dr. J coming? Nice. The song is Gratitude by the Beastie Boys. It's got like that fundamental, like the gratitude, that's pretty self-explanatory. Be grateful for where you are, how you got there, what all the things that happened, all the things that didn't happen, even the bad things that happened have usually a positive spin that you can take away at the end. But when you listen to that song, it's got some energy, it's got some edge, and it's motivating you to push. Wow, that's great. So now that we're pretty much wrapping it up here, is there any other pieces of nuggets that you haven't, uh, you know, uh, you know, given the listeners to say, okay, you want to start? Well, my last piece of advice is... Yeah, the, you know, start, right? If you want to start, especially this last two years, has given a lot of people this huge opportunity in whether that's working from home or maybe you're off work for a little while or whatever it is, the future from here is yet to be written. We don't really know where things are headed. So the last thing that you want is to look back and say, I should, or I could have, or it would have been so much better if I had done it then. And what's the worst that can happen? If you don't take yourself seriously, you fail faster, get started, do it, mess it up. Don't like perfection is the enemy of the good. Get going. 
Ah, I like that. Perfection is the enemy of the good. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. It's not mine. I don't know, but it's not mine. It's it's still a good phrase. It's still a good phrase. I like that. All right. Final plug. Where can listeners reach out to you? Yeah, awesome. Instagram is great because you can see a bunch of, a lot of times we fill it with babies because that's the most fun part of what we do and they're the cutest. There's more stuff to learn on there. We're Dynamic Balance Cairo on Instagram. We're on Facebook too, Dynamic Balance Chiropractic. Our website is Dynamic Balance Cairo or there's a shortened version, dbkairos.com. You can check us out on all of those. Um, and yeah, we're, we just reach out. We're more than happy to connect. We do consultation. A lot of people say, is this for me as far as chiropractic care? Come on, we'll check. They'll reach out to us. Cattle chat with you on the phone. We'll do no charge consultations. You can understand what we're doing, why we take care of babies. Like why would you adjust a newborn? All those things. We're more than happy to discuss with you. Yeah. And I, and like I said, last, last final plug that I have for Dr. J's clinic is that my wife, she's a physiotherapist at a hospital. And when I started going to Dynamic Balance, because uh, it was through a word of mouth referral from one of our friends. And, uh, and I, she's like, you're going there for how? And then said, how long did the appointment take? I don't know, five minutes, five minutes. That's it. What do they do with you? Right. And I'm like, I obviously I'm not super scientific. So I said, well, they cracked my neck. They did my back. So I'm probably the worst uh, endorsement of your clinic ever because it, oh, he just cracked a few things and all that. She's like, oh my God. And how much did we pay for you know, She's actually going to the money side of it. And then I think one time she was struggling with something. I can't remember what issue it was. And I said, her, why don't you go to Dr. J? Let them take a look and see. Now she does not like missing her appointments. If she she's has. Done so well. Huh? She's done so well. She's a phenomenal athlete too. Like you got to keep that high performance body working great. I'm not going to call her a lead athlete because if she hears that, her, her ego is just going to go through the roof. So well, that's. Heard- there you go. <laughs> so anyways, thank you, Dr. J, for this. I think the listeners took a lot of knowledge from this. It was, it was really awesome. Thank you. It was pure pleasure, Ken. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, guys, that was our interview with Dr. J. And it was an awesome interview. I think we got a lot of nuggets from that. Like some of the three top points that I remember from that podcast is one, pretty much find the right people, find their strengths, and put them in a position where they can actually succeed at that particular role. Number two, healthcare versus sick care. It should not be about if I'm die if I'm alive, that means I'm healthy. Really look after your health and really try to look at different ways to improve your health, whether it's exercise, nutrition, stress management, anything like that. And the third tip that I think is also very important is to pretty much it's okay to fail. You don't have to be perfect at everything to succeed. Because a lot of times owners think they have to be great at everything and never fall, you know, never fail at anything. It's okay if you miss a step or two. Just make sure you try to improve and get better. So with that, guys, it was a great episode, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.